welcome to the AFPT Comics Podcast, episode 259. My name is David. My name is Nathan Simmons, and I'm here with David Brooks. Whoa! <laughs> what a twist! Plot <laughs> no, no, twist. No, set the people straight. Oh, that's right. My name is David Brooke. Uh huh. What a weird last name, Brooke. And when I say it on the phone to people, it sounds like Burke. Why? Do you say it wrong? I think I don't know how to say my own name. <laughs> oh, I've never been taught. God. Is it true you're a big natty boy? I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, I have big natties? I mean, that's one term of endearment people use, yes. Sure. Big naturals. But I mean... Do I like natty light? No, 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 no. Natty is a uh, person or an article of clothing that has smart and fashionable. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm wearing a cute little cardigan right now. I'd say... Uh, I yeah, can see I'd it. Say, yeah. I can see it. I've got some slippers on. You know, I'm in my... Uh, I'm in my cozy Saturday morning era right now. Big Natty Saturday, they call it. Yeah, well, and it's short for Nathan, actually. What's this show? <laughs> this is a comic book podcast where we talk about the biggest news of the week. We yeah. review our favorite comics. We have special guests on, too. Like this week, we have Zach Thompson on. Yeah. To talk about Cemetery... I couldn't say it when I said it earlier in the show, too. Or later in the show, technically. Cemetery Kids Don't Die, which yeah. comes out February 20th from Oni Press. Um, we both got to read the issue early. We talk all about it. It's a really, really and... fun book. Really cool mm. uh, take on VR technology. A sci-fi fantasy hybrid kind of story with great character work. Uh, yeah, it's a fun conversation. Video game players will enjoy it, too, because there's a lot of like, yeah. in-game universe stuff going on in this comic. And, totally. And uh, Oni Press is on a tear doing really great sci-fi stuff. They did Xeno, the anthology last yeah. year, which was on your best of My fave ones. anthology, yes. Uh, AFPT is quoted on the back of the trade paperback. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Brag. Hell yeah. But uh, <laughs> it wasn't me who wrote the words. But um, <laughs> That was uh, no, I think... Chris Copeland's review, right? It was, yeah, yes, yeah, he... from uh, his weekly column, um, Last Call. Yeah where he reviews a bunch of comics. But yeah, uh, I'm really excited to see what Oni's up to. Obviously, it's a legacy publisher that's been around for a while, but now they have Hunter Gorson kind of leading the charge. Ever since he came on, the the, the publisher has been putting out more interesting, creator-owned style Definitely. stuff. So yeah, we, uh, this we is had just a, another one of them. Uh, yeah, Zach, uh, uh, Zach is just the latest creator to sing the praises of Oni Press. Uh, they're they're, true, they're really true. doing some great work over there. I, I think I feel like we spent a good bit of time talking with Kevin Smith uh, about nine episodes back uh, about his mm. his days with Oni and, and really enjoying the work with them as well. True, uh, true, true, so, true. Yeah, good stuff. But before we get to the interview, let's talk about the biggest news of the week, which is a lighter week traditionally. The last week of a month tends yeah. to be uh, a week where both publishers have already delivered all of their solicited information sure. over the month, so less to give out. But we did get news of a new crossover, uh-huh. something that we don't get enough of from Marvel Comics, I would argue. <laughs> well, this is one I'm excited about, though. It looks neat. Uh, Venom versus Carnage. It's being called Symbiosis Necrosis. Hell yeah, brother. That is pretty cool. It's kicking off in March. Uh, Tarun Grumbeck and Al Ewing are writing the books with Ken Lashley on art and... Um, and Perry Perez also. as well, yeah. Yeah. Cafu actually did some designs for a new look for Carnage, which you can check out on amptcomics.com. Carnage, who looks like maybe he has uh, taken uh, Meredith's powers from the uh, from the Venom book. or He you know, has the headdress, it looks like. Definitely a more uh, cosmic Carnage than we've seen in a little bit. I would say this is a very goopy boy, very goopy glowy boy look. 
It's a very goopy, glowy boy look. It's also very <laughs> uh, death metal uh, looking. Like I love this uh, title treatment for the crossover. It has a very you know '90s Rise of the Midnight Suns vibe to it, which I you know is always a, a plus for me. Uh, and just some truly gnarly covers. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It looks like Carnage is going to get the Meritus powers, and because there's a cover here where we see the other versions of Venom. Yeah dead potentially so yeah possibly carnage, is on, carnage has been on a tear get it uh hey. for a while now yeah. and uh i would be too if i found out i was dead and then i came back to life also we got to talk about this fucking crazy one ferrera cover with uh, the two of them with yes. their heads like you know the freddy versus jason style poking their little foreheads together before they fight yep, yep, yep. uh it's, it's pretty cool so nasty looking i love it yeah if you really look closely at the sinew between the jaws yeah Yeah. skin crawl absolutely in a good way something that won't make your skin crawl is the x-men the animated series is uh manga (laughs) yeah it's getting a deluxe edition this fall um the news came out via viz media's tweets there's not a lot of details all we know is it's a deluxe edition and uh it's getting remastered but i did a little digging on this and it's actually a series that came out in 1994 yep only in Japan to help promote X-Men, the animated series in Japan. Which I, you know, I admit I had never known that there was a, a, an X-Men manga for, for the animated series and uh, really excited to check this out. Uh, I, if listeners want to go on to YouTube right now, pause the show uh, and look <laughs> up the Japanese intro to X-Men, the animated series. Oh, Have so you ever good. seen that shit? It's so oh, rad. It's metal it's, as hell. It's so The music good. is so good. It's, it's so, way better I mean, than America. Well, I mean, it's impossible to... It's really hard to beat that uh, that X-Men, the animated series theme. No, 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 no. Absolutely. Uh, but I... Uh, and, and, you know, we've also got the... the the version from uh, comic book couples counseling courtesy of Lisa, which uh, yep. gets stuck in my head uh, at, at least three times a week, but uh, <laughs> all, vocal. all vocals, dippy dippy do da da uh, <laughs> is the, the best. It's my favorite lyrics. Um, but anyway, the, uh, yeah, if you ever get a chance to look up the, uh, the uh, Japanese animated intro, it's mm. so cool. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. I would wager the reason why I haven't gotten an adaptation in a while, well, in part, Marvel did release this uh, in the late 90s, but why isn't there a trade paperback? Probably because of licensing, I would Oh, argue. definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and I'm sure they've worked this out uh, just in time for X-Men 97 to come out. Yes. Uh, yes. Which, we, which got we got our, a first look at this week. A leak, yes, which I... And it, it looked like Morph uh, is in there. It looks like Morph's in there, but it also looks like it is animated uh, with, like... It's not 2D animation. It looks like it's um, uh-huh. some limited CG or some kind of... I don't know, sure. I... I not not my fave look. Uh, it, it looks like it's animated similar to the uh, What If cartoon. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see. I'm still looking forward to seeing new stories with, with uh, this version of the X-Men. And, uh, same. I'll be checking. But are you looking forward to out. the same stories in comic format as Star Wars Ahsoka is coming out? And it's going to be an adaptation of the, the recent show. It's coming out this July. Well, look, not to sound like that. Star Wars guy, but uh, as someone who, <laughs> yeah. who did not finish watching Ahsoka, uh, I uh, not, not. I mean, gut. maybe I'll like it more as a as a comic yeah. book. Uh, sure. You know, it's 
it's easier to you know uh, you don't have any flat line readings in a comic book which is cool and <laughs> it seemed like everyone in that show was like being asked can you show mm-hmm. as little interest in the material as possible whenever you're <laughs> right. in a scene? But, right. Uh, Ahsoka herself was very monotone. I guess she was trying to be like wise and wizened. Yes. But, uh, yeah. Just I don't know if that's a good idea for the lead. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, Marvel has been putting out Mandalorian adaptations in their comic format as well. Yes. And they actually sell really well. Yeah. So there's definitely an audience for it. Definitely. There's also an audience for TMNT, The Last Ronin, as we learned this week, thanks to yeah. ICV2, which puts out um, regularly puts out sales numbers. Uh, this week, they revealed the highest selling graphic novels of 2023. Yeah. And in the top 10 was only one non-manga, and it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin hardcover. Yes. Which is saying something because it came out in 2022, guys. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, every time I go into a Target, they've got that thing on the shelf. Mm. Like that is one yes. of the, one of the true, books true. that I see outside of comic shops all the time. And the same thing mm. with, you know, demon slayer and uh, Jujutsu Kaisen and stuff like that. Like these are, these are all books that, uh, that I feel like are, are more widely available than just outside of bookshops. Yeah. I mean, and demon slayer and chainsaw man have animated shows too. Yes. So, yeah. and so of course, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had its own movie this summer. So yeah, that probably helped with sales too, but yeah. Boy, um, can you imagine someone watching mutant mayhem and then picking up the last Ronin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would be very confused. Last Ronin is definitely like primo for that fan. Um, that's in their late thirties or forties that uh-huh. watched the cartoon, right? Watch like, the cartoon. Like, or if you, if you loved the Mirage books back in the day, like it, it very much feels like, uh, old school turtles, uh, with, with, a mm-hmm. uh, with the, you know, dark Knight returns kind of vibe thrown in there. Classics are definitely back, especially if you're a rogue trooper fan. I know that a lot of our listeners probably know rogue trooper have posters on their walls. Uh, <laughs> Nathan, were you a fan of Rogue Trooper? I do like Rogue Trooper, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but the this was this was this came out of nowhere, man. Like I, yes. uh, you know, I mean, we've had a couple of relaunches of Rogue Trooper, and we, you know, 2000 AD uh, certainly kept that spirit alive. But like, it, not only is there a Rogue Trooper movie being made, but it's done filming. Like they yes. wrapped principal photography, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's yeah. directed by Duncan Jones, uh, David yes. Bowie's son, the director of Moon and Mute and World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft, <laughs> the uh, still the highest grossing video game movie of all time, I believe, aside from uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. That movie, uh, that movie did insane business in China. The World of Warcraft yeah, film, mm-hmm. um, but also, yeah, this cast is wild. Uh, we've got Haley Atwell. We've got Jemaine Clement. We've got Matt Berry, uh, Diane Morgan from Kunk on Earth, uh, Sean Bean. Like, let's fucking go. Yes, it's a it's a treasure trove of Australians and British people. <laughs> yeah, as well it should be. <laughs> and Duncan Jones, of course, is British as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this. I, uh, I actually reviewed uh, some Rogue Trooper comics by IDW when I first started writing at AIPT yeah. 12 years ago. Um, they, of course, don't have the license anymore, but uh, it's it's a long-running series. It's basically an army alien guy, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot to mine here. Um, very curious to see if this will be, 
you know, more on the adventure side of things, or if we'll have some of the, you know, the, some classic satire, 2000 AD vibes. I mean, like, like Duncan Jones said, like 2000 AD quote, he says 2000 AD offers a very different flavor of comic action. So there's, there's a lot to pull from here. Um, very, very interested to see how this turns out. Nostalgia is king in our news this week because it sure 80s is. nostalgia and cyberpunk are combining for The Midnight Shadows, a new graphic novel mm-hmm. from Dark Horse Comics that was announced this week. It's written by Zach Kaplan, the king of sci-fi, if you ask me, in yeah. comics. Based um, on the music yeah. of The Midnight, one of my favorite bands. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. They were actually a big influence. I mean, you can listen to uh, my, my, my friend Dustin and I had a released a record last year, the fever, the rage. Um, and they were the, the midnight was a huge influence on that album. Oh, now I got to listen to it before yeah. I was like, nah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, artist Steven Thompson will be displaying art with, uh, colors by Tiago Roca. Mm-hmm. And this is out in October. So it's interesting. Dark horse tends to, um, announce books way early, especially yeah. graphic novels because of the book market being a little different than comic book market. So, right. Yeah. Uh, and we only have a, cover art but it, it looks pretty freaking cool it looks gorgeous uh, and you can tell from uh well if you're a fan of the midnight you can tell from the synopsis that they're definitely uh playing off of motifs from their songs uh you know you've got references to uh to jason to neverland cyberpunk uh just some really fun exciting stuff and also, surprise revealed by mm. Chip Zdarsky, Katie Kubert is taking over yeah. as the Gotham editorial team editor. Uh, and everyone assumed she was just taking over for good, but it was confirmed by DC uh, to me that uh, she is an interim mm-hmm. editor, while Ben Abernathy, the uh, the once current Gotham editorial mm. uh, editor, is uh, is uh, is uh, is gone. So yeah, kind of interesting that she's interim only. It must mean that she may not want the gig necessarily, but. Uh, or, or she has a lot a, on her plate. Yeah. Yeah. It's This is a huge opportunity for someone to pop in. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Jordan she's D. white and someone who has, you know, uh, edited Batman before. Uh, so so definitely, uh, you know, uh, it, the, the Batman line is in good hands for right oh, now. For sure. um, you know, it would be cool if she stuck around, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, when I was writing this news, I was digging into her LinkedIn, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, she's got so many credits. She was oh my gosh. for a few years, yeah, yeah. DC before that, and then DC now. Yeah. And uh, Jeremy Adams uh, tweeted at our news, mm-hmm. she's awesome, so we know it's true. Yeah. Love Jeremy. Moving on to our top books of the week, we're going to talk about our top two favorite comics out this week and lo and behold we both liked uh for our second pick the same book yeah alan scott green lantern number four by tim sheridan and cn tormey uh this is uh this book continues to be uh my my favorite of the the golden age you know justice society books um you know digging into alan scott's uh past and this month is uh, much more focused on the the secret origin of the red lantern he's been uh dealing with in in the background of this series and And he uh, has a bushy beard like you he sure does and uh (laughs) it is a it is a tragedy truly i mean this is this is such a a a a punch in the gut for alan uh to to believe that he had kind of found solace and and can and you know a human connection with another person and then 
to find out he's basically only being used. But there's also really interesting dynamics at play here because clearly the Red Lantern uh, is afraid of be uh, afraid of being seen as a homosexual and afraid of being like uh, he has a wife he says yeah and, and and afraid of being you know uh, targeted for you know the the relationship that he genuinely shared with alan um and you can which, tell by the incredible character acting there's by uh, just some really incredible uh yeah, yeah. physicality and facial expressions and uh yeah, I mean, it, it ties perfectly into the themes that they've been exploring so far in this series. Um, God, I just, I love this book, and each issue is, uh, you know, it was on my, it was my top, I think it was my favorite book last month when it came out, but it was, uh, you know, just every issue gives me at least a couple of moments where I have to, like, sit back and take a deep breath and tell myself everything's going to be okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal series. It's a cool issue too. In that there's a story within a story. We get a full flashback yeah. of red lantern and what he's been up to mm-hmm. and how he got here. Um, there's also some cool stuff with powers. Yeah. Right. Like them going through the walls. I was like, wait, green lanterns can do that. Yeah. And he explains to Alan. Like you have no idea what you're doing. capable of and how, how yeah. you can manipulate matter and, and mm-hmm. literally travel through time and space. And yeah, right. it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Solid uh, series. I think it's only six issues, but mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Tim and, and Ken are back on board for maybe a follow up at some point. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, if you want more Tim Sheridan, uh, Masters of the Universe Revolution is out now, uh, uh, and uh, very very excited uh, for people to check that out. The new the new season of the Netflix series, uh, showrunner Kevin Smith, uh, just a you know a fantastic uh, reinvention of the classic cartoon. Animation is so good too. Isn't it's it? so pretty, and the voice cast yeah. is top notch. Um, Mark Hamill as Skeletor is just uh, just crushing it. Well, be it as it may, what was your favorite book of the week? I really loved Moon Man number one by Scott Miscuddy, uh, Kyle Higgins, and Marco Locati. Uh, this is, uh, th- I mean, I was really excited about this last week because I'm a huge Kid Cudi fan, and I'm a Same. huge Kyle Higgins fan. And so uh, both of those great flavors, it turns out, taste great together. Let's, uh, you know, don't think about it too hard, What I, how I just said that. Put those people in a blender, and Nathan will drink it. <laughs> Put my tender heart in a blender, um, yeah, this is a, a story about a, a, a guy who uh, saves his crew on a mission to space gone wrong. Um, there's seven minutes of footage that has uh, not been retrieved by the uh, by NASA, by the space program, and by the American public. And people want to know what happened up there. And what happened is he might have touched something uh, outside of the known universe. Uh, it's a very it is a classic superhero setup. And then the story, uh, the book allows the character work to take front, you know, the front and center. Uh, This is very much about the alienation that uh, our main character feels, Ramon feels after coming home. And the the sort of self-isolation, self-imposed exile that you kind of put on yourself after a trauma. Uh, it's, it's It's a fantastic character study. That just so happens to have some absolutely gorgeous cosmic uh, painterly art, uh, and uh, and and again, uh, great character expressions. And uh, I don't know. I just I'm I'm so 
drawn in by the human drama of this book and and we barely scratched the surface of like the sci-fi elements so uh, mm-hmm. and as we talked uh, a little bit with with Zach Thompson about uh, in the interview coming up this feels very much like a contemporary story but it's also sort of a shitty mm. future there's there's <laughs> elements of a, a corporate controlled future and what that means for uh, regular citizens and, and the people who get stepped on by by the by the suits and, uh, i really just, like the uh yeah the visual style of the book i think it, it has a unique look yeah. doesn't it yeah it feels I, like it, i mean it feels very much like an indie book uh yeah from, from yeah. the 90s uh especially like it just it, it has kind of a milestone vibe to it uh it very very much concerned with character first superheroics second and societal concerns uh maybe above all else i i just mm-hmm. i absolutely yeah, this was this was a really exciting book. I gave it an eight point five in my review. I, I honestly, if I <laughs> was writing it today, I've been thinking about it all week. I'd probably bump that mm. up to a nine nine point five. I just absolutely love this first issue. I liked watching it spin round to a beautiful oblivion rendezvous that I'm through with you. You know, R- rendezvous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> rendezvous. It's a French word like chasm. Sure, sure. Uh, nice pick, man. I Thanks. really like Marvel's voices. Marvel's vo- I always forget it's Marvel's Voices Legends number one. Yeah. By various. Uh, no, this of course is Marvel's Voices, which is, has uh, an anthology of shorter mm-hmm. comic stories along with interviews and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I found this just so entertaining. Um, it's know, a starting... great collection. Yeah. I, 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 once like, every year, they, they just knock it out of the park. John Jennings' uh, introduction is really good. He yeah. talks about what the word legends means, which is really fascinating, mm-hmm. tying it into the series. Uh, there's a great interview uh, by Angelique Roche uh, with Dennis Cowan, which is great in part because he talks about how Marvel prevented him from putting out his um, Captain America book, set in, uh, talking about apartheid, and mm-hmm. they printed it. They allowed they allowed that to go through, which you yeah. wouldn't think a big giant no, corporation like Marvel would allow. I, I was I was really I really appreciated that transparency and, and that that sort of accountability mm-hmm. on Marvel's totally. part, and then. The comic stories are great too. Uh, David mm-hmm. F. Walker and Edder Messias does a do a great patriot story where yeah. they tie in all of these elders teaching patriot things while he's fighting Crossbones. Yeah, and man, the art is cool. Crossbones looks freaking scary through his like torn mask. <laughs> yeah, it's really unreal. Um, then there's another story by uh, Justina Ireland and Karen S. Darbo uh, with Misty Knight and Colin Wing, which is a mm. fun little you know team up book where. You know, it just really gets into the, you know, how these two are friends Uh while also, you know, stopping crimes and and solving mysteries and stuff. I was just thinking, sorry to interrupt, but like uh, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing have been such a fun presence in Cody Ziegler's Miles Morales book. When are we getting a a series Mm. about them written by Cody Ziegler? (laughs) Like, I want that immediately. Marvel Snap fans will know Colleen Wing is a character that is pretty important in discard decks yeah i didn't really know who she was that well oh now really she's in oh, there yeah, i she's see the her all the time she's like a main ca- she's bigger than spider-man for me <laughs> i see her all the time <laughs> i love it um the story that takes the cake for me though is the yeah. deathlock story by ezra clayton daniels who was on the show many years ago at this that's point. right yeah uh who's a fantastic writer artist uh and this story is actually drawn by sean damian hill mm-hmm. but oh my god I've always been fascinated by Deathlock. I think it's tricky to pull off sometimes, but this story gets into how there's an AI inside of him 
that its main prerogative is to keep him alive. Right. And unfortunately in this story, he's quite hurt. So the AI does some horrible things to innocent people mm-hmm. to keep him alive. And it really gets into that. And not only like body horror elements of it, but also like the freaking scariness of being controlled by this entity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in a world of AI these days, it's kind of easy to see the connections to our own reality, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, capping this, the, the issue off was a story by Sheree uh, Renee Thomas and Julian Shaw, which is basically giving every Black Panther storm stand what they want. Yeah. I'll say no more. It's a nice... We see him. Black Panther is a grandfather at that age and yeah it just it shows us what it would be like for them to be other i saw um uh reggie hudlin tweeting Mm. i think it was this week saying or maybe it was last week saying like he always intended for black panther and storm to be a couple yeah and he seemed a little bitter that marvel had broken them up um and you know what they're together in this story so yeah that's nice it's it's a we love to see our characters kind of get their reward right Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, that's a great story. But uh, yeah, go pick that up. Go pick up all For of our sure. picks this week. But also maybe pick up uh, the books in our next segment, Standout. Kapow! Moment of the week, our favorite yeah. panel or page from a plethora of comics we read so that you didn't have to. That's right. You don't have to read them because we, told, <laughs> we tell you, you about one page. No, you should read these. These are good books. Um, uh, my favorite moment yeah. comes from Wolverine number 42 by Ben Percy, Victor Hell Lavelle, and yes. Corey Smith. Holy crap. Okay, so I re- reviewed this book at APT, and <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, that first issue of this story, our Sabretooth War, it said the most violent Wolverine book ever. And I was like, haha, of course they're going to just brag about how that is, and it's not true. I cannot no. believe this made it into, no. into print. Like, it, 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 <laughs> it's fucking, this is more violent than anything in Predator versus Wolverine, I swear. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So go to AIPTcomics.com, go to this podcast post to see the art. I know you can't see it on the podcast. You're using your ears, not your eyes. But there is a moment in this issue where Wolverine has been defeated by many Sabretooths of the multiverse, Mm -hmm. tied up, hanging. He can't get out uh, until he realizes, you know what? I don't have animantium ligaments. (laughs) Right. And in this page, which is, I think, uh, let's see, nine panels or so, he uses his claws to cut his ankles and wrists so that he can get out of his tying up, his being tied up. Yep. And now he just has bloody stumps with still uh, adamantium claws popping out, by the way, rushing to save his friends. Oh my God. The gore in this is crazy. (laughs) It's disgusting. The, uh, the, the sound effects are so good. Hack, flick, hick, shack, (laughs) slick, slack. Uh, And then finally falling uh, a hilariously high distance down to the ground, laying in a pool of his own blood, uh, pieces already starting to grow back and reform. It's, it's rad. It's so So good. So gross. He just cut. Does that mean his hand isn't animantium? His fingers aren't animantium? You know what? I I get a little confused by Wolverine's physiology. I think the implication is that he... Uh, when he's resurrected now, uh, it's yeah. just it's just meat and potatoes. <laughs> but uh, that leaves the question of where the claws are coming from, right? 
Um, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, whatever. It works for me. It's cool. It's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all that matters, really. What was your favorite panel, uh, panel or page? Uh, I really loved a, a page from uh, Batman Superman World's Finest 2024 annual, uh, specifically the Challengers of the Unknown story by Christopher Cantwell and Jorge Fornes. Uh, in this story, the Challengers are trying to stop a. Um, super collider that has been activated and is basically tearing through reality. It's a giant tentacled monster. And as the challengers run into the room, uh, their physiology is being divided by this, uh, by this device. So each of their brains are floating outside of their heads. Their hearts are floating right outside of their chests uh, and all of their eyeballs are pointed straight <laughs> outwards, like just kind of still slightly connected. Um, I love all of the weird body horror stuff, the, the the hands disconnecting at the wrists. It's not bloody at all. It's just very cartoonishly upsetting. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, on top of that, all of the panels are becoming separated from the page. So you've literally got panels that are floating behind other panels where you can just see tiny glimpses of action uh, as everything just becomes discombobulated. It's a great use of the form. Uh, just, a, just a killer page. This makes me think Cantwell would be really, or Fortes would be really good on Fantastic Four. I, I would love to see this creative team write a Challengers of the Unknown book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Really cool page. Mm-hmm. Moving on to our next segment, Top Books for Next Week. Yeah. Can you I believe it? More comics next week. You know... There was a day where I was like, I don't know, maybe we won't do the show anymore. And then I was like, oh, came a day no. just unlike any other. More books, more books. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, there was a time with the, with COVID that I actually wondered that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, what are you looking forward to the most? Uh, I really uh, am looking forward to Ultimate Black Panther number one by Brian Hill and Stefano Caselli. Uh, this is the 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 introduction to the Black Panther of the new Ultimate Universe. Uh, I, I love this creative team together. The uh, designs that we've seen and, and preview pages that have come out of the book are fantastic, but also very excited about this version of Black Panther that feels very much like a um, little bit of a spy book, but also a, a literally a king defending his kingdom from uh, a, a supernatural invasion, the Moon Knight, uh, Kunshu and Ra together. Uh, just, I, I, I love this the promise of this new take on, on Black Panther. Uh, also the fact that Storm will be a, a major character in the book, uh, mm-hmm. as, as we've uh, had teased, uh, what we were just talking about. The, those two mm-hmm. go together so well uh, in in the 616 universe. I'm excited to see what their relationship is like here. Give us what we want, Marvel. Mary <laughs> Jane and, and, and Peter. Yeah. Black Panther and Storm. I'm just so I'm so pumped about this this new Ultimate Universe and uh, mm-hmm. excited to see how this book informs the other stories that are going on because during uh, Ultimate Spider-Man we're still getting stuff with Iron Lad and and Doctor Doom so I'm I'm excited to see you know maybe what they're up to in Wakanda. Yeah, and on Friday Marvel put out the Ultimate X-Men trailer. Yeah, check out some some art from that there mm-hmm. too. It looks so rad. Yeah. I'm very hyped for all Ultimate at this point. Gimme, what, gimme, gimme. What else are you looking forward to? Batman number 142. Ever yeah. heard of it? Yeah, I have. <laughs> it's the 142nd one. Uh, Yeah, well, I don't know if that's the legacy numbering. Uh, it's Might, not. It's... It, there's no way it is. <laughs> I think, oh, no, they just had the 9th issue recently. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Chip Zdarsky, Andrea Sorrentino, and Giuseppe Camancoli. Uh, I think Andrea's art is actually like from an older issue that's being reused. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, the Joker Year One story arc. Uh, this is, of course, my uh, most anticipated book of the week because Kevin Smith's most anticipated book of the year is this, I think. He talked about <laughs> it on our, our show. Oh, yeah. No, but really, um, Year One, really bold to be using that moniker on anything. Uh, as we all know, Batman Absolutely. Year One is one of the most iconic Batman stories ever. But uh, there's a lot of potential here yeah. for Zdarsky to play around with Joker. He hasn't used Joker too prominently, mm-hmm. uh, in part because, you know, let's we've been going through some Joker wars after wars after wars, mm-hmm. so it, uh, we needed a break, I think. But yeah, um, I'm curious to see what he does with Joker's origin, which apparently he's telling Batman through prison bars uh, that now that uh, the failsafe has Batman of Zurin R mm-hmm. controlling it, Pill safe, of course, is a rope. Anyway, there's a lot to it. Guys. There's a lot going on. <laughs> no, very excited, though. I mean, we as we know, the Joker is an unreliable narrator. So I'm very curious to see uh, how they play with, uh, you know, different perspectives here. For show in our next segment, judging by the cover. Junior. Junior. Our favorite cover art. We're going to talk about it. Go look at we it on the website. To. I cannot get enough of this Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees Number 3 cover by Rosmo, Riley Rosmo at that. I got to review this book early, so I got to see this cover extra early as well. But it is so cool. It is basically like a novel... Uh, cover like a the, the dust cover of a novel mm-hmm. where we have this these cool little designs around the this um, picture frame oval of our bear character uh-huh. or an evil version of them but the coolest part is their hands are bloody and inside their chest if you look closely it's like inside a little bit uh-huh. is this door and I feel like it's a really good symbolic uh, point especially mm-hmm. for what this issue is about is that the horror is already inside and it's inside yeah. this, this serial killer bear character who is our main character. Um, and in this issue, there is some sneaking about inside people's houses. So nice. it's apt for that issue as well. But uh, just the lack of pupils in the eyes, yeah. the use of shadow. This is creepy as hell. This would. Why didn't the Winnie the Pooh movie use this image as their inspiration? <laughs> I also love that the you mentioned the the sort of bordering design. I love that it's all coming from a ball of yarn, and there's there's little knitting needles uh, yes. mixed into into the design as well. It's there's a lot going yes, on yes, here, yes. and I love it. Book is really cool. Very classical looking. Uh, I really love the cut. Co- First of all, we gotta give props to one of the funniest titles that DC's ever had for a. Uh, <laughs> So a, uh, a, a Valentine's anthology, but DC's How to Lose a Guy Gardener in 10 Days, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, we have a really lovely variant cover uh, by Christian Ward uh, that, uh, you know, look, uh, I've talked about on this show, I love a wife guy. And one of their greatest <laughs> wife guys in comics is, is Barry yes. Allen. And uh, just absolutely love this cover art of him running so fast that he can kiss Iris on the ch- on the cheek on both sides at the same time um and she's what a so lover. happy she's so <laughs> what a, what a what a what a minch uh he's a lover she is so uh stoked and so happy about it and it's just i don't know it's so sweet i love the facial expressions i love the clever use of his power here i love the big hearts floating away uh, and Christian uh, retweeted or the DC's post of this cover art and was just talking about how how happy he was with how it turned out. I, and I a lot agree. of joy in it. It's great. Yeah, 
Mm, really good. Yeah. The joy the joy of that relationship. Yeah. Is, we don't get enough of that in comics. No, we really don't. Healthy relationships. Life, I guess there's less drama in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, moving on to our last segment. Zach Thompson joins the show. Talks to us all about Cemetery Kids Don't Die out February 20. 20- Go get it. So I'm with us is Zach Thompson. Zach, your sixth time on the show. Thank you for being on the AFET Comics podcast. Thank you for keep having me back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're always a great guest. Uh, you know, you you do incredible work. Kazar was one of my favorite Marvel books of that year. Um, very inventive stuff. Always infusing like organic kind of technology, alien, sci-fi stuff going on. And we get that a little bit in Cemetery Kids Don't Die, which is coming out February 20th. Uh, it's blending a 21st century future with a gaming system called Dreamwave. Uh, where did the idea for this series start? I was thinking a lot about my time playing like World of Warcraft and how sort of like how much that game asks of you um, in terms of like investment and sort of like what you have to sort of put in to get out of it. And then thinking about just the general things that I like, um, invasive technology and and sort of like things that sort of graft onto your body and thinking about logically like in the next couple of years, where does gaming go from here? Mm-hmm. We talk about VR headsets. We talk about um, AR, augmented reality, and virtual reality and all that stuff. And um, I don't know if you guys have used any of that sort of stuff, but it never feels quite like it's actually going to catch on to me. Mm-hmm. But for me, I was like, if you put something on and let me like lay down and I could like move around <laughs> in, <laughs> in another world, like I can get behind that. I think the thing... Like I'm a pretty avid gamer and I talk to a lot of other gamers and one of the things that always comes up is like, I don't want to be standing <laughs> when I'm gaming, you know, <laughs> right, I right. absolutely. And so like, uh, I, I just started to think a lot about that. And, you know, I always cite like David Cronenberg is a large reference point. And so mm-hmm. that was sort of like looking at his movie as extends that came out in the late nineties and yeah. uh, really predicted the future in terms of like online gaming and, and uh, immersive like online spaces and going like, okay, well, what does that look like if we kind of imagine that in 2024? And it's quite different. Right. So that that was one of the one of the questions I was going to ask is we we kind of play with the idea that this is sort of a, a world adjacent to our own. I would you know uh, Dave and I kept using the word near future when we were talking about it off mic, but I, I feel like the shitty future is like in the room with us right now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes the best sci-fi stories sort of reflect uh, like the current reality that we're in, right? And I think a lot about like, well, I'm sure you probably guys, you guys probably think about it too, but I'm like, people who are ten years younger than me, like, what are we leaving them? You know, in yeah, terms of totally, like, yeah, yeah, because like the the dream of like what was promised to our generation is already so compromised that. Um, another sort of 10 years of this or 15 years of this mm-hmm. it's like I'm gonna probably just if you know if you have kids you're like yeah go go play in your digital world like don't worry about this uh burning reality here just like go do your thing no absolutely I uh my my fiance is a 10 year old and at least once a week I'm just like so what is like her life gonna be you know yeah <laughs> it's, yeah, like, it's yeah. very much like enjoy 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 YouTube, enjoy your Nintendo Switch, like just be a kid for as long as you can. Absolutely, um, right? 
Yeah. It's hard not to think like all this VR technology is going to be a necessity for our sanity, right? At some point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, truly. Cemetery Kids Don't Die is such a great title. Did you have that like settled right off the bat or was it something that kind of like came organically as you were working on the story? Uh, Definitely the latter. Like it was Mm -hmm. sort of, um, I think the original book was just called Cemetery Kids. And then... Also good. Um, yeah, <laughs> we were like thinking a lot about there's a without getting into spoilers, there's something that happens at the end of the first issue that sort mm-hmm. of is the promise of the premise in the title. And like, mm-hmm. that's sort of what um, we were talking about with Oni was like, okay, we have this cool like hook at the end. And if we can like build that into what we're promising people, and then also like, I'm just a big fan of long titles, because I think it was Matthew Rosenberg who once told me is like, I worked at a comic book store and if your title's long, people probably won't remember the whole thing, but they'll remember enough of it that they'll <laughs> they'll be able to like stir something in the guy at the desk who will yeah, then yeah. be able to go grab it for them. And that's really stuck with me. And then also like I worked as a journalist for so long and SEO is so important. And so like, sure. I have a new book at Boom called Blow Away. And if you try yeah. searching Uh-oh. that, it's like... You'll never find it. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't search that on Twitter right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we had uh, Rick Remender on a few weeks ago, and he was talking about uh, Napalm Lullaby, the title. And uh, similar, he had a different title. And then by the time he was into the middle of issue two, he was like, wait a minute, mm. Napalm Lullaby, that's actually pretty awesome. <laughs> I find that that happens a lot, right? Is this mm. like natural sort of like, a lot of times if you're really immersed in a book, it will kind of tell you where it wants to go. Mm, yeah and it will change things and sort of evolve on its own terms and so that was very much and like credit to the team at oni too they were so down to just sort of like workshop it and change it late into the game and sort of come up with something that was a little bit more catchy and i'm super happy with the title i'm really excited what oni's doing with sci-fi and stuff of late yeah Yeah, i'm i'm very i've told them many times that i'm very happy to be part of this because um I, you know, like anyone uh, coming in, I was skeptical, I, like, and I told sure. them as much. I was like, I'm not sure um, you can convince me to get on board. And then they sort of like laid out their plans and, and said, like, here's what we want to do. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, mm. I'm 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 here for it. Um, yeah. And like the amount of support that we've got on the book has just been incredible. So that's that's a recur every time we've spoken to someone who's working with oni right now they've had nothing but like glowing things to say about everybody over there like uh, it makes me really happy to see that and to hear yeah. people are being like supported in that way and they're working they're with one of the biggest pr firms that helps out comics publishers mm-hmm. right now too so like they're feeding us like previews and interview ops and mm-hmm. stuff so that's really awesome it's exciting that's sure. the way it should work right and yeah, like, yeah. They're, they're like one of our what our three or four legacy publishers that have been around for like yeah. over a decade. So yeah. it's like, they should be a huge presence in mm-hmm. comic book stories. Agreed. And like, I, I really think they, the new team recognizes that and mm-hmm. really wants to like, there's even things about cemetery kids that while I was working on it, I was like, Oh, there's like some Scott Pilgrim DNA in here that sure. I wasn't even aware of sure. while I was working on it. And then I took a step back and I was like, Oh, we're set in Toronto and we've got like video games blending with the real world. And oh then my. I was like, Oh shit. Like <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's an opportunity right there. Speaking of the PR back in December, we got fed essentially uh, an exclusive mm-hmm. reveal of designs uh, by Daniel Irizarry. And can you talk a little bit about the process of crafting the look of the characters not only their avatars, but also their in-world looks? 
For sure, yeah. So Daniel's like a, a superstar, just like a, yeah. a phenomenal talent and and has really brought uh so much life to the this book and has like really done a good job of like uh creating like avatars that are very striking and have like incredible sort of visual design mm-hmm. um that are like a mix of influences from like D D, Bloodborne, yeah. Elden Ring, that kind mm, of thing. Definitely. So like vaguely familiar, but still their own thing and still occupy our world. Mm. And then the characters themselves reflect their in-game avatars in a way that like you can kind of see who's who if they are standing in a line. Mm-hmm. And um, that was just from having conversations about their personalities. And I did a lot of work in terms of like, you know, like who this is who this kid is. This is what they want to do with their life. This is sort of like what their arc is going to be over the book. And then Daniel sort of took those influences and created these like incredible designs for them um, both like I said the real world stuff is great like that sort of near future sort of manga inspired uh fashion like they all kind of look like they walked into like a final fantasy game and then <laughs> sure <laughs> but, like big boots like weird pants lots of buckles and stuff very Just, chrono like, trigger too yeah yeah and I like that's like chrono cross is like one of my favorite games of all time so like I man of culture really <laughs> it really spoke to me and and then like the the character designs are so striking like that uh the variant covers that we have like the james stoko variant god so good yeah and it's just one of our faves yeah when we saw that both daniel and i were like oh my god right like when you create something like that and then Mm -hmm. someone like stoko brings his imagination to it yeah yeah you can like okay (laughs) it opens up the world a little bit doesn't it totally yeah absolutely well and and i think the what's great about this book and, and especially about Daniel's art is the characters are very, um, very expressive, very like, even when you were not in this video game world, we're able to like really tap into their emotional qualities, but then no spoilers. There is a moment towards the end of this issue where we see something on the ceiling that <laughs> I literally made me like scratch my arms. Like mm, I was <laughs> totally so comfortable. Yeah. It's fantastic yeah. stuff. Yeah, I wanted to um wanted to like, you know, bring the the fun of the video game world and have like mm-hmm. kinetic sort of action sequences. But then I think like again, like the promise is that this is like a sci-fi horror book. And so at some point you have to have those two realities sort of collide with one another. And sure. I wanted that to be striking for people. And I think we succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's sort of an organic feel to to a lot of the stuff in this book, especially like the tech, um, like D- Dreamwave itself almost looks like a face hugger or a creature, <laughs> you, you know, you, you creature you put on your head. How important was it for you to have like an organic approach to tech in the book? Oh, like, yeah, 100%. Like, so uh, that was like what I laid out at the beginning was like, mm-hmm. I want this to feel real um, and invasive, but at yeah all the characters take it at complete face value um like a lot of the tech in this world right (laughs) yeah and and i think like yeah i think that's what makes it uncanny too like as a reader you're sort of like oh this is gross but like no one's having a reaction to it yes yeah and i think that's uh that's 100 by design because I, i like that sort of immersive um world building where it's like okay we're not going to explain to you how this thing works so like Mm. don't hang your hopes on that but 
what we are going to do is show, sort of show you how it works and show you sort of mm-hmm. why people are willing to do this and put this on their body. But also, like, I'm not even really sure if we're that far away from from stuff like this, you know? Right. Yeah, like, I mean, that that was one of our questions was, like, even <laughs> even without knowing the dangers of Dreamwave, I mean, how how <laughs> likely would people be to just put this thing on their heads now, like, just boot straight into a system like this one? Would you do it, Zach? Well, uh, no, <laughs> but I, but I know too much. I, you know, like I, I even think like, you know, when people put on like, um, you know, like Facebook has their own sort of uh, VR headset, and I, yeah. and you know, I'm paranoid. I read about this stuff all the time, but I go like, what's to stop Facebook, who's been stealing data from people forever, sure. to like read your retinas while you're uh, hooked up to that thing, or oh, right. get biometric scans, or figure out, uh, you know the gate as you're walking or like how tall you are or whatever it may be able to assess from the data that uh, it gets when you're wearing it. And it's like, I don't know. I think it might be naive to believe that they're not gathering stuff like that, you know? So it's like, I don't like to, especially new technology. I'm just like, I'll wait and see what the, the horrors uh, that come out of this are. And then I'll see if I'll engage with it. Right. right. (laughs) I mean, it's like TikTok, right? Like there's so many people that use it and are obsessed with it. And there's like evidence that all your data is getting given away to some company in China and no one cares. There's like an obvious danger to security. And yet no one, everyone's like, well, you know, everyone else is doing it. So I better. Well, there's travel hacks on TikTok though. So that's true. (laughs) Think of the cute I learned how to scratch my back. (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 well we were talking a little bit about vr and new tech today did you do research into rpgs of today like Baldur's gate 3 and tech of today to sort of fashion what this tech would be like in in this book oh yeah yeah i mean i played a lot of uh modern rpgs like i'm still i'm like waist deep in Baldur's Gate 3 right now and it's like it's so much of, game it yeah is. it's like almost ruining my life because like, <laughs> it's like I'll play sometimes and I'm like I just spent an hour and a half organizing bags in my <laughs> and it's like now I gotta go to like a meeting and like yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so it's like I didn't really accomplish anything but like right. I'm really organized for the next time I play right um, right but like there's that immersive experience i think Mm -hmm. is like what sort of drove was like the north star or like elden ring um the sense of like i didn't want i i don't know the like i i didn't want it to feel like a boomer writing my video games where it's like level one or you've uh you know like uh x amount of uh experience like in Mm. dragon slang or whatever and like not that that's like boomer stuff i just mean like i didn't want it to feel like you're hitting people over the head with gamer language or anything like that. I just wanted to feel immersive as it is for the characters. So you Mm -hmm. throw people into the world. And one of the things that um, people don't realize about the book right now is that each issue takes place in a different sort of biome in the the video game world. So like they beat a boss in issue one, Mm -hmm. and then they go on to the next area in issue two. And that... Uh, keeps happening in each subsequent issue so you see more of the world but you also through how they move through the world you learn about this fictional place called monarch valley where the game takes place um sort of like an allegorical version of uh 
uh, American mining town or mountain town, that kind of thing. Something that used to be driven by old school industries that are now sort of like completely defunct. And so as they move through this world, you start to learn more about the world of Nightmare Cemetery, the game, but also like the town Monarch Valley. The idea being that like games like Elden Ring just throw you in and you uh, immerse yourself in the world and then you sort of move through it and you learn the history. And I very much wanted that to be like the North Star yeah. for Nightmare Cemetery. That's cool. I, uh, I I love the the dynamics between the characters and and kind of spinning off of you playing a lot of video games. Do you have like a, a regular gaming group or, you know, uh, friends very much like yeah. these? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, felt, and it, like, yeah, felt honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So like I in 2021, I moved to uh, the East Coast. Um, I, I'm originally from the East Coast, but I had been living on the West Coast in Vancouver for 11 years. Um, and so the guys that I was friends with there, I played D&D with and sort of went back years and years with just like regular gaming groups. So mm -hmm. I kind of made a point of um, when I came out here that we didn't lose that bond. So now we all sort of still play video games uh, literally every Friday night. Like I was uh, up until three o'clock in the morning last whoo! night um, playing uh, Fortnite with these guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it, it was awesome just because it's like we mm -hmm. I mean, I'm I'm three years out from that move and we're still every Friday we get together and we and we do it. And like um, it's really late for me. Right. Like they they're getting home from work at like six and that's 10 p.m. my time. And so like sure. but we make it work and um, it's it's just awesome. Like I, I really, I've had that sort of my whole life, but like the, the bond that you create, like gaming with people and being in those, like what I've been calling like secondary realities, right. These like places that are like not real, but they feel real. You're having, you're sharing memories and stuff. Like yeah. you'll have vivid memories of this time that you did this thing in Diablo four. And yes. it's like, right. It's not, didn't, I wasn't a bear and running around <laughs> killing a, a demon from hell but i right. have a memory of that and it's very valid <laughs> I, I my friends and i watch clips of our old gta 5 sessions because like like we're going through photo albums oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. a very real that's thing. cool <laughs> i think about that sometimes like i i was really into PUBG for a few years and like sure i, I have a memory of the map i know like where <laughs> you are in the map if you showed me a screenshot and like it's just bizarre to me because it doesn't like, exist and it could go away forever at some point. Yeah. Yeah. But those memories will stay. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Right. And, and, and like you're saying about the bond, that's important to this book too. Um, if any of the party members in your book were to get sick or something to befall them by the end of the first mm -hmm. issue, I'm sure in the second issue, the other friends will do something about it. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole thing, right? Is like, I, I mean, I'm sure, everyone's had a moment where they like drift away from a friend, uh, you know, like to talk about this broadly and the idea of like, what do you do um, to help someone who's struggling or, or to bring someone back into the fold or, uh, you know, uh, friend groups that are just supportive of one another. And one of the things that I talked about with Oni was like, this is essentially a team book. It is Birdie's book. Like she is the POV character, but it is essentially a book about the bond that we create by playing video games together and how that um, that sort of quest that's in the video game carries on into the real world, and and you have to follow through with it, and you have to take care of each other. And I really um, have experienced that in my own life, where like 
you know, um, my younger brother and I have been talking about this a lot while promoting the book, but like we weren't the best of friends growing up. And then we started playing World of Warcraft together. And I shit you not, like that is the foundation for our friendship into wow. adulthood. And like, you know, we played it for years and yeah. we figured out how to like, you know, do raids and the end game stuff together. And then like we were just like, I remember my older brother had been living um in another province for like years and he flew back home. And he was like, what the hell happened between you two? Like, you guys are really good friends. <laughs> and I was like, uh, World of Warcraft. And he was like, wow, like, I would have never <laughs> expected that to be the answer. <laughs> I love that. It unlocks something no, for the, you guys. Those, yeah, those truly. friendships and those those bonds, they're real, man. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, I love it. Um, you, you've talked before. I mean, you talked a little bit about your your, your enjoyment of gaming. But you've talked on the show about how you, you create mood boards for different projects what what mm -hmm. sorts of movies tvs comics did you have up while you were writing this series um one thing that i was like uh like almost immediately i read a uh, die dark the manga by um i forget their name uh hugh hayashida i believe i think that's correct um and yes. the the main character in that book is so gnarly in terms of their design. Um, yeah. And then when he takes his helmet off, he's got this like really cherubic, like, you know, 12 year old boy sort of face. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually sent that to Oni in one of the original pitch documents. And I was like, this is the vibe um, in terms of like, I want these super gnarly characters that when their mask comes off, mm -hmm. they're just a teenager. Um, because I love that aspect of like, you know, a uh, big guy with a giant scythe and spiky costume, helmet comes off, and it's a kid who's vaping. And, <laughs> and like, you know, just in terms of um, trying to bring that sort of, like, balance, that was, like, one of the big things that I brought um, to them at the beginning. And then sort of, like, blending that Bloodborne, Elden Ring yeah. sort of vibe. But beyond that... Um, Silent Hill was a huge inspiration in the way that uh, we designed the game world in terms of like the atmospheric storytelling. And especially as you get into Monarch Valley proper in issue three and four, um, it's like a small town Americana. Um, and like you can tell from the issue three cover, it's all puppets that live inside. So like horrible oh boy. puppet imagery that's going to haunt people forever. Sure. Um, <laughs> but like I, I really wanted to just bring a medley of influences that um, don't feel like they belong together. So like blending all of that with like the Cronenbergian tech in the real world. And then like, you know, it's no secret that like, you know, this book doesn't exist without Nightmare on Elm Street, especially like Dream Warriors, the aspect of, yeah. I had watched that when I was pitching this book originally. And it just occurred to me that like, there's that just beautiful camaraderie in that third uh, movie where they come together against Freddy and I really wanted to like bring that sort of energy, like, um, you know, there's something powerful about going into your dreams and being like a lucid dreamer and being able to like control them. And, and so bringing that aspect to, to all of this. Um, so yeah, it's a, a wild range of influences, but it all feels sort of like in line with who I am. So it doesn't feel crazy <laughs> to me, but when I describe it, it makes me feel crazy. <laughs> no i i dream warriors is so good At anytime that's a touchstone for somebody i'm i'm on board oh <laughs> yeah i remember also the first press release talks a little bit about how this isn't for all ages 
Can you talk a little bit about that and the, your approach for writing something that could be read by someone who's 60 I, and someone who's 12? <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense to me. Um, only, like, I don't know if that was... So, like, here's the thing. It features teen characters dealing with mm-hmm. teen stuff, but there's lots of gore and visceral imagery. I don't know if I would have potentially marketed it for uh-huh. all ages myself. But I guess the thing is, is when you do feature characters who are 14, Mm -hmm. there is an ability for like, I don't think there's anything too insane here uh, for, you know, a 14 or 15 year old to read. Um, And like, frankly, like (laughs) I when you were 12, what were you watching? (laughs) Exactly. And like, to be honest with you, I go to so many cons. Maybe this is like a self report, but I'll sit at my desk and if a teen walks over and they want to like pick up a book that maybe isn't for them. Yeah. If they're not with their parent and they're unsupervised, I let them just go through the book. And if they want to buy it and they have their own money, I let them buy the book. Love because it. <laughs> it, you know, like how many times I have a visceral memories of going to the video store mm. and walking through the horror aisle. Oh, yeah, sure. Stuff that I absolutely was not supposed to be. Just the covers. Yeah. 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 And so like I, I go like, you know what, like, uh, Cool. Like I, I would love if if teens read this stuff, and I definitely uh-huh. did write it to be representative of the angst that I felt. There's so much. Um, Bertie and Pick, the the two siblings that are at the yeah. center of this book, they're dealing with family trauma at, at, at its heart, right? And their inability to connect over that. And I think that that is something that um, I experienced when I was that age, and I didn't find a lot of material that engaged with that kind of stuff. Huh. Um, for me that would have been helpful and so i i really wrote it as like a you know like a love letter to the 14 year old uh me out there who needed something like this nice that's sweet that yeah when i was eight the first one of the first movies i remember is Eraserhead, and when i was watching oh it God. thinking oh my God. should i be watching this yeah. the chicken I will... scissors scene particularly I almost spit out my coffee there when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> but then I think back and I'm like, I wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't watched Eraserhead at eight years old. <laughs> sure. Um, totally. I tell this story all the time, but my older yeah. brother forced me to watch Day of the Dead, um, the scene where like Rhodes gets like eviscerated and he gets his yeah. like, head ripped off. Yeah. And I had just uh, had a craft dinner spaghetti for dinner <laughs> and I had thrown <laughs> it up all over our, our oh. family room. Because he like he held my head in front of the TV and made me watch it, and I was like, "No!" And that is anyway. a formative moment. Is this the same yeah, truly. <laughs> brother that you recently rekindled with? This is the older brother. Oh, so okay. the older okay. brother was the guy who was like, "Hey," because he, he's six years older than me, so uh-huh. he was always like able to rent movies and show us things that right. we absolutely shouldn't have seen before. That's so funny. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, moving on back to Cemetery Kids Don't Die. If it was a song, if the comic was a song, what would that song be and why? Okay, well, I mean, it's probably going to be something instrumental. Uh, genuinely, what I listened to over and over again while I was uh, outlining the book mm-hmm. is a song called The Sindorai uh, from the World of Warcraft <laughs> Burning Crusade uh, soundtrack. Nice. Um, it is the uh, theme to the Blood Elves. And mm-hmm. the reason being is that, like, that was. That's the starting area for the Blood Elves in the World of Warcraft Burning Crusade expansion. That is actually like my younger brother and I played Blood Elves together. So that just stirred memories for me of yeah. what that time was like. And so like I actually would listen to hour-long mixes of that just on repeat. Wow. 
Um, so it was just like ambience, but it's like, I, um, I'm sure this happens to a lot of people, but I have a lot of memories that are stored in music. And like, I find that when I listen to certain songs, it really elicits like an emotional sort of like, oh, I, I can just go back to that moment. And so yeah. that was really um, trying to find that like emotional truth of this book was like wrapped up in that song. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, as someone who listens to a lot of music while I write, that is, mm-hmm. uh, that's absolutely so true. There's, there's like, I, I, <laughs> I literally heard a mountain goat song a couple of weeks ago and was like, I smell clove cigarettes. Like I'm in college yeah. all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's so many things where I like, I can actually, uh, that same thing happens where I can like smell something. Oh, it's very like moody. Oh, nice. But that's like the, the ambience of it, right? Is like, yeah. I find I actually write to a lot of video game soundtracks and that kind of thing because they're sort of designed to be on in the background anyway. And I find um, personally, when I listen to stuff with lyrics, it it gets and affects the prose too much for me. Sure. Like I I'll hear something like hooky and I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. I thought of that. And then you're like, <laughs> no, wait a second. Yeah. That came from the lyrics of this thing. So I have to kind of like leave myself in this space where um, I'm free to kind of think uh, and free associate however I may. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, so that sort of stuff is very, and like, you know, there's pretty much the entire Burning Crusade soundtrack. I'm looking uh-huh. at like my playlist, some Final Fantasy seven songs. Oh yeah. Um, a little bit of Skyrim stuff because of, again, the ambience of like wandering around big worlds on your own, yeah. that kind of thing. So the dungeon yeah. music in Skyrim is like, oh, all, yeah. all, the, all the dwarf dungeons are like, that's great writing music. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> there was a period where I was listening to the Crisis. I forget which Crisis, but the soundtrack to that was really intense and got, oh, yeah. me, got me going. Oh <laughs> nice. yeah. Well, Zach, uh, do you have any other projects you'd like to plug today? You, you mentioned Blow Away earlier, and I saw on Twitter you've got a really great year coming up for just creator-owned stuff in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, in April, I have uh, what's being called like a paranoid thriller uh, from Boom Studios called Blow Away. Um, it is about a wildlife videographer who's stationed on Baffin Island, which is in like the northern Arctic of Canada, who uh, believes that she may have recorded a murder, but from like several hundred miles away with a wow. huge long lens. Huh. And so she's out there all by herself. And she's like, shit, if I don't do something about this, nobody will. So I have to sort of take it upon myself to investigate what's going on here. It's very much a riff on uh, two older films, uh, Blow Up, which was about a photographer who maybe witnessed a murder in his photographs, and Blow Out, which is about a sound designer who may have recorded a murder. And so I was thinking a lot about that sort of like, well, what do you do to sort of explore that in, in the modern day? Yeah. But then also comics is this really interesting thing where like there's no real sound, right? Uh, right? So like you're doing video without sound. So I was like, well, what if it's a video that you wouldn't even have sound for in the first place because you're so far away? Right. But the general sort of crux of it that I am proud of is that the central piece of media, the the murder recording, is uh, split into 16 images. And you are going to see that uh, those 16 images in each issue. And your interpretation of those images is going to change every single time you see them. That's so Um, cool. Yeah, I'm trying to do some weird formalistic stuff with it. And luckily, Boom was like super down with it. And 
Um, we're just having a, a blast. Nicola Izzo is the artist on that book and um, just phenomenal talent. Uh, lots of mixing in like white flecks of snow and everything and really playing with the wind since the book is called Blow Away. So we're doing a lot of like fun stuff with like, you know, a bunch of white snow uh, blows into the panel and mixes with the white gutter. And then like the image uh, is trend is a transition into this other thing. And so like just yeah. playing with the environment of the Arctic, like I love that sort of stuff. So like, I can't wait for people to check that out. Nice. Awesome. I immediately thought of yeah, rear window for some reason when you first pitched oh, it. Yeah. So like rear window was a touch point as well, where mm -hmm. like I pitched it to boom as like rear wind chill. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so stupid, god what a dad joke like, alternate title <laughs> yeah, yeah but it like the vibe is is absolutely the same type of thing like I, what i've been talking about is like your window is like that paranoia of like your neighbors right like sort of wondering what is going on and like we live in this era where regular people become the objects of like cultural fascination right like Someone will disappear on the side of a highway and then everyone has theories. They're just dissecting their TikTok, that kind of thing. And so I really wanted to explore, does that culture bleed through even when you're at the end of the world, right? Like, yeah. can you make up a story for something that may just have a normal explanation, mm. but because you're out there and you're seeing it and you've come to a conclusion, maybe it's not the right conclusion. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Hmm. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to that for sure. You said that's Very in April, cool. right? Yeah, yeah. And then I can't talk too much about the next two things, but I have okay. two other creator-owned books that are, one will come out in June and one will come out in September. So the idea is awesome. that like a full year of original stuff from me. That's awesome. I'm sorry to all the retailers who have to stock so much of my stuff on the shelves. <laughs> but the idea is that there's something for everyone and that um, there will never be more than <laughs> two things on the shelf at the same time as... Uh, you know, Cemetery Kids and Blow Away, Sunset, two new books will kind of come in to fill their space. One awesome. horror, one crime. The idea being that there will always be a horror book and a crime book by me on the shelves. Love nice. it. Big year You're for lucky. Thompson fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, like you were saying at the beginning, like I haven't been on the show since like 2021. I, I kind of like took uh, some time and put my head down and thought, okay, what do I want to do? What do I want to put out in the space? Mm -hmm. What do I want to like, you know, um, be representative of my voice? Um, I've spent so much time co-writing and like, I love that process. And, you know, Lonnie Nadler and I are still super good friends and talk all the time and still are working on a book together that will slowly see the light of day eventually. But Sweet. I really wanted to figure out like, after you've done that for years, mm -hmm. you kind of go like, oh shit, like I have a bunch of stuff that I want to do. And Lonnie's in the same boat where he's right. like, I have a bunch of stuff I want to do. So we've kind of gone our separate ways and it's fun because then we get to share stuff with each other and, and see it for the first time. Well, Zach, uh, where can folks find you online? Uh, reluctantly, I'm still on Twitter. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, my username is Zach B.E. Thompson. Same on Instagram and same on Blue Sky. Mm -hmm. You can also find my newsletter, uh, the voice in your head is mine. It's currently on Substack. Might not be there for ever either. So we'll see. The voice in your head is mine. That's a great title, especially if you're a podcaster, because it's <laughs> so true. true. Yeah, we'll yeah I, maybe I need to change to a podcast. <laughs> well, Zach, this was really enlightening and fun. Thank you so much for being on the APT Comics Podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me.